This is our second week in our Christmas sermon series titled The Characters of Christmas. Many of us love the underdog story. You know, the, the stories of people or teams doing something that no one expected of them. And I think some of that comes from our feeling of a connection to individuals who are kind of unfavored and in unfavorable circumstances. Psychology Today ran an article about the effects of underdog stories and the effects that they have on us when we watch them or read about them. And Matt Johnson wrote in his article, studies have shown that the literal act of witnessing an underdog story gives us hope. So just even watching a movie about an underdog uh, and them kind of rising to this thing that no one expected of them gives hope. And he goes on to write, and it isn't a fleeting feeling. We carry this with us for several days. Today, in our text, we're going to be examining two faithful women in the Christmas story. We're going to be looking at Elizabeth and Mary. And in their stories, what we are going to see are two unexpected characters who the world would have considered insignificant and unfavored and completely unfavorable for anything of importance to come in their lives. But they play a monumental role in God's plan to redeem this broken world. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Our sermon is titled, Favor to the Unfavorable. Now we were introduced to Elizabeth uh, through last week's text where we were looking at Zechariah, her husband. But we're going to look back at that introduction to her uh, and then we'll read the rest of the text today. So I'm going to start at Luke 1 verse 5, and then we'll skip ahead to the remainder of the text for today. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive And both of them were well along in years. And then we're going to skip ahead to verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this season and the reminders of hope that we have and the stories of you sending your Son for us. Help us believe. Help us be filled with joy and hope because of the truth that we hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in this text that we are looking at, we are introduced to these two faithful women, and we'll highlight some of the kind of characteristics of their faith, but what I want to point out is the reality of in their world, in their time, and in their culture, what we're going to see is that Elizabeth and Mary would have been unfavorable and insignificant. So the first thing we're going to see in the text is Elizabeth and Mary, unfavorable and insignificant. So first, we saw last week the introduction to Elizabeth and how she and her, her husband, Zechariah, were both faithful. And we read these words. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along 
in years, childless, at an old age, she would have carried with her daily a burden of feeling like in her culture, I haven't done the one thing that was expected of me. And we talked about last week how with that, there was in, in the culture of the day, the idea that surely this is some judgment from God uh, that he would leave uh, someone childless in their days. They must have done something to have deserved this is the, way, is the line of thinking that most people would have held about Elizabeth and Zechariah. And so she carried this daily, this feeling of disgrace and being unfavored and unfavorable in the eyes of the people around her, day in and day out for decades. And then we move on to seeing young Mary. So in verse 26 and 27, we're introduced to her in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. A young woman, likely a teenager, we're not given her age, but likely a teenager who was a virgin that was engaged. Women... Most people in the culture of the day didn't expect much from them. What was expected was marriage and having a child. And significance would only come in who they were married to, if anything. For young teenage Mary, the world would not have considered her significant at all. In worst case, she would have been viewed as a commodity to be consumed and discarded. And in best case scenario, in her culture, in her time, she would have been viewed as people would have seen her as, is she the kind of woman that will be a faithful and good wife? Is she going to be a faithful and good mother? Which are wonderful and important roles. But that was the extent of what most people would have expected from someone like Mary. And then when you pair that with where Mary was from, we see more of the level of insignificance in the world's eyes, of course. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Mary grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a backwoods, insignificant town that had almost nothing going for it. There was no major commerce. There were just a few hundred people that lived there. So outside of the Lord stepping in and doing something, which of course we just read that he does, uh, Mary would have gone throughout history being completely unknown, just a young teenage girl from a place like Nazareth. People looked down on Nazareth and the people who were from there. Nazareth was in the northern regions, 
had a lot of pagan influence because of trade that would come in and then also because of the invading armies that would come in. There was more pagan influence in the northern area. And so people from Nazareth weren't really looked with favor according to the world standards. That's why when we uh, read in John's account from John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, Philip goes to Nathanael to say, Hey, we found him. We found the Savior of the world, the one that was promised. And so in John 1, starting in verse 45, we read this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything... Good, come out of Nazareth, Nathanael asked him. The thought of someone of significance coming from a place like Nazareth was completely, you know, out of people's minds. Nathanael's saying, really? The, the Savior of the world? The promised Messiah? From Nazareth, that captures that expression of Nazareth is a nowhere place. It's like, I don't know if you have any, uh, any Parks and Rec fans here in Parks and Rec. We've got to see one. Uh, Parks and Rec. When Tom finds out that Jerry has a timeshare in Muncie, Indiana, he's like, in Muncie? Are you serious? That's what Nathaniel's saying. Nazareth? Really? The culture of the day would have viewed Mary, and we see they viewed Jesus the same way. There is nothing of significance that would come out of a place like that. And so the details about our two characters show that they would have, because of their circumstances, because of things about who they were and uh, where they were from, they would have been viewed as unfavorable and insignificant. But we have a God who loves to show favor to the unfavorable. And so what we're going to see as we walk through the rest of this text is God extending favor to these faithful women and seeing what that does uh, to them. And so first we'll see Elizabeth. And what we see there is God's favor to Elizabeth takes away her disgrace. God's favor to Elizabeth takes away her disgrace. Verse 24 and 25, back in Luke. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days, to take away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth's response to conceiving in her old age and now going to have a child, which if you weren't here last week, we looked at the text uh, and previous to this in Luke 1 and learned that that child is going to be John the Baptist. That child is going to be the one that prepares the way for the coming of Jesus. And Elizabeth 
responds with a praise of God, not in song, but just a a praise, a declaration of this is what the Lord has done for me. Look what God has done for me. The Lord has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. When the Lord looked with favor on Elizabeth, it removed what she calls her disgrace. Some of your translations may say my reproach among the people. Daily she walked, away, or walked around feeling a sense of shame for this one thing that could be identified about her. The text declares that she was a faithful, godly woman. But the thing that defines her in her mind and the thing that likely defined her in her culture was that she was without a child and she said that was a disgrace. I walked around in shame for decades. But God has shown favor to me. God's favor has taken away that disgrace. And she declares that as a praise to God. That he removed her disgrace from her. And that's what God's favor does for all of us. The, the thing that we carry with us that is shame and disgrace and reproach for those of us in Christ... God's favor takes away that disgrace from us. It always does with his people. And that's going to take us now to the next part of this story, which is a promise to Mary of the coming Savior of the world. Now, we've already been given the promise last week. Uh, We didn't know that it was going to come at the immediate time through another child. But Zechariah was told by Gabriel, you're going to have a son and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Right? The, the Messiah, the Lord, is about to step back onto the scene. And your son's going to get the people of God ready for him. And now we're going to hear uh, about that child. And so God's promise of a coming Savior in verse 28 to 33. And the angel, this is Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary, who would have been insignificant in her day, in the world's eyes. She may have been insignificant in the world's eyes. However, God has favor on her. The angel declares that to her. Greetings, favored woman. And then he goes on to say, you have found favor with God. And in all of that, he's going to give her a promise, an announcement that she, insignificant Mary, is going to have a child 
who is the promised savior of the world. This young girl from a nowhere town is going to be the mother of the Messiah, the promised savior. He's going to be a king who is going to reign on David's throne and it is going to be an eternal reign. This takes us back to the promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. We read these words, when your time comes, this is the Lord speaking to David. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God promises David, when you die, when you rest with your fathers... I will raise up one after you who is in your line, who is going to make uh, a place for my name. And I will give him an eternal reign, an eternal kingdom. And now Gabriel is announcing to young, insignificant in the world's eyes, in the world's eyes, Mary, that she is going to have this child, the one that was promised to David so long ago, the coming Messiah, the Son of God, who will have an eternal kingdom. What a beautiful promise to a young girl from Nazareth, of all places. And that's going to take us now in the text to seeing Mary's commitment to the Lord. Her response to this announcement that she is going to carry the Son of God. Starting in verse 34, Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. So Mary asked curiously, well, how can this happen? How is this going to take place? Now, this is not an expression of doubt like what Zechariah had. It's a curiosity of, I have never been with a man. The, the literal translation is, I don't know a man. How is it possible that I'm going to have a child and Gabriel explains, this is going to be different than every other conception in the world. Uh, this is going to be miraculous. God himself is going to cause you to have this child. And therefore, that child is going to be known as the Son of God. It is going to be a miracle that is not like anything else that has ever happened in the history of man. And Gabriel gives her a sign that she can go and see your relative Elizabeth. 
is going to have a child. So as Mary's processing all of this, and likely her mind is about to explode with, oh my goodness, uh, he tells her, you can actually go and see Elizabeth. She is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And I love the language here. She who was called childless is in her sixth month. I, I love that past tense, right? That's who she used to be. She was this, but the Lord has worked a miracle, right? She is childless no more. It's now going to be Elizabeth, John's mother. And how could that be? And Gabriel declares to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Right? So as you're trying to process all of this and think this doesn't make sense from a worldly standard, Gabriel reminds her of this truth, and it's a truth for all of us to hold on to. There is absolutely nothing that is impossible with God. Whatever the Lord wants to accomplish, he is going to accomplish. There is nothing impossible for him. That is good news for us. And so... In this, Mary is going to respond with commitment to the Lord. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Whatever the Lord wants of me is perfectly fine. If this is the Lord's will for me... I will gladly serve in this role. She is committed to the Lord. She is committed to the Lord's will for her life. Now, she could have focused on, well, what's Joseph going to say? She's engaged. What's Joseph going to say when he hears this news? What are my parents going to say? When they hear this news, what's the town going to say? And in a town of 200, they'll all know something's happened. And they'll all probably say a whole lot of things. She could have focused on all of those, what about this? And I don't know if I'm up for that task. But she doesn't. She says, if this is the Lord's will for me, I will gladly serve However, he is calling me to. I could learn a lot from Mary. And I think probably most of us could. That commitment to the Lord, no matter hard, no matter how hard things may be, just if this is the Lord's will, then may it be just as you've said. And so now that's going to take us to seeing the change for Mary. We saw that the Lord's favor to Elizabeth took away her disgrace. And now we'll see that God's favor to Mary takes away her insignificance. Verse 39 to 45. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. God's favor to Mary takes away her insignificance. Mary, wanting to just see, could all this be true, rushes to a little town in Judea where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. And she enters the house and these faithful women of God come together and it is a beautiful, beautiful scene. I love this story. And Mary greets them and when Elizabeth hears her voice, John leaps inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth then is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks these words to her. So the words that she says are, are given by the Spirit of God, a way for God to confirm all of this to young Mary. And these are the words, blessed are you among women. What a description for an insignificant girl from an insignificant place like Nazareth. You're the most blessed of all women. Now that phrase is only used in one other place in the Bible, and I think it's significant uh, that it's now used again to describe Mary. It's used in the book of Judges, and in Judges there's the story of Jael, and Jael was... Uh, happened to be in a place where one of the enemies of God and God's people, Sisera, is fleeing after battle, running from the Israelites, and Jael invites him into her tent and tells him he can lay down and rest. And as he sleeps, Jael takes a tent spike and pierces the skull of Sisera and kills him, which is a, yes, disturbing image. But Deborah then sings this song of praise and she says this word, these words about Jael. Blessed are you among women because Jael crushed the head of the enemy. And now, 1,200 years later, a young girl from a place like Nazareth is carrying the child who was promised back in the garden to crush the head of the serpent. Blessed are you among women, Mary. Elizabeth declares that to her. Why is that the case? Not because of anything Mary has done, but because of what God has done for Mary. God has shown favor to Mary, and he takes away that insignificance that the world would have viewed her with. And look at the humility of Elizabeth in all of this. I don't deserve this. Now, Elizabeth is a walking miracle. An elderly woman who was childless, who is now carrying a child, and that child has a very important role in God's plan in history. 
John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He has a special role in God's redemptive plan. And yet, she's not praising her position and her child's position. She is looking ahead to the one that Mary is going to give birth to. And she says, I don't deserve this. What, why should this happen to me that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? And all of this, she is declaring again from the Spirit to Mary, this is all true. You are going to have a child and it is going to be the promised Lord. Blessed are you among women, Mary. In all of this, God's favor to Mary changes her insignificance. Instead of being Mary from Nazareth, which pretty much no one in the world would know, she is now Mary, blessed among women. She is now Mary, mother of the Lord. Insignificant no more. Why? Because the Lord has shown favor to her. God has removed that insignificance By showing her favor. And now that leads us to Mary's response of praise. Which is an actual song of praise. Uh, Elizabeth had the same kind of response. Not a song, but a, a praise, a declaration of what God has done for her. Now Mary is going to have a song of praise known as the Magnificat. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. So Mary... In this interaction with Elizabeth, it's confirmed that what you've been told and what you have believed is true. That last verse 45, she said, blessed are you who believed. So Mary has believed this, which is a contrast to Zechariah we saw last week. Zechariah hears this word of God doing something miraculous and he doesn't believe Mary believed what was said, and she is blessed. And as all of this takes place, Mary's going to burst into praise. She praises God for what he has done to her. She shows humility. She recognizes that he has looked with favor on his humble servant. She knows, I I didn't do anything to deserve this. The Lord, in his kindness to me, has shown me favor, and she praises God. She praises God for the favor that he extended her. She then transitions, if you follow through the rest of the Magnificat, she's praising God for remembering his promise to Abraham and to Abraham's descendant. Remembering to send the Savior of the world, and she is praising God. She rejoices because he has shown mercy to her and to God's people, just as he promised to do. 
And so Mary is praising God for the salvation of the world that is now going to come and also because his favor has been extended to her and taken away her insignificance. She praises him. So, for us, as we consider these two women in the story of Christmas, these women who would be unfavored, unfavorable, and insignificant in their world, I want to ask, are there things about you that have ever left you with those kinds of feelings? Feelings of being unfavored and insignificant are the things about you that you still walk around in shame for. Maybe it's circumstances that you desperately wish were different. Maybe it's something from your past that you are grieved that you actually did. Maybe it's something that has happened to you that you had no choice in, but you walk around in shame because of it. And these characters today remind us that God shows favor to the unfavorable. Elizabeth and Mary remind us of that. These faithful women of God who the world would have discarded as being really useless in most ways. They remind us that God shows favor to the unfavorable. The Christmas story reminds us that God shows favor to the unfavorable. Spiritually, that's what he has done for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. He changes who we were to past tense when he shows his favor to us in Jesus Christ. She who was... He who was, and you can fill in the blank with whatever thing you think has defined you that you carry shame over. And know that if you are in Christ Jesus, that's past tense. She who was that. He who was that. Because Christ has changed it for us. He changes who we are. And remember that. We were enemies of God, and now we are sons and daughters of the Most High, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. We had every reason for the world to overlook us, to discard us. But because of Jesus, we are now heirs of God Himself. We walk around in guilt and shame of sin. And now, if we are in Christ... We are called righteous because of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of God's favor to the unfavorable. And so church, let's remember that. And let's respond with trust in what the Lord has for us and what he's calling us to. And let's respond with praise because of the kindness of our God and the favor of our God that has been extended to us who are in many ways unfavorable. And if you're here today and you're missing hope and you're hearing these words of hope that can be found in Jesus Christ 
and God extending favor to people who are unfavorable, we want you to know the hope that we have because of Jesus. And so if if you don't have a relationship with God or you feel very far away from God, please see me, see one of our elders, our ministry leaders, before you leave today. And say, I want to know more about that hope and, and experiencing the favor of God in my life. We would love to share the good news of the gospel with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your favor that we didn't deserve, Lord. Help us remember that we haven't deserved it. Uh, and help that produce in us a sense of awe and wonder and a response of praise for what you have done to show favor to people like us. Keep settling our hearts and minds this Christmas season around the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. Help us believe it. Help us find peace in this season because of him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.